Welcome everyone to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone. On today's show, we're turning all our attention over to week one here. We're back with our weekly preview episodes on Wednesdays, and we always bring in outstanding guests for these, some of the, the brightest minds in the industry helping guide the way here. And we are starting off with a bang this week, because today's guest is somebody who I've been battling with in the Fantasy Pros Accuracy Contest for a while now, John Paulson from 4 for 4. There are tons of regulars up at the top of that competition, Pat Fitzmorris and Sean Kerner and Jeff Ratcliffe, and actually we've had all those guys on the show over the last month or so here, so it's fitting that we're bringing John on today, but John and I have been dueling, it feels like it's been about a decade, I think maybe it's been nine years for me, he might have been in there a little bit longer, but nothing but respect for him, he's the director of forecasting over at 4 for 4, you can find all his content rankings over there, and I'm excited that we're finally getting to talk here, so John, welcome to the show man, how are you? Pretty good, uh, Justin. Thanks for uh, having me on. It's good to finally uh, meet you, quote unquote, meet you and chat with you. Uh, you know, I had a week one and I was just talking prior to the start is that week one is always that that weird week where we're still dealing with draft rankings, but also uh, getting ready for week one. So uh, we're pulling double duty, as you said. Yeah, I feel like there's a few times in the offseason where you have to make those transitions, like when you're doing all your dynasty stuff and dynasty drafts and everything, and then you have to start to shift towards redraft. And then this is another one where like you're thinking about the full season and then we're starting to do the week one rankings and you got to kind of shift from from one to the other, right? Yeah, definitely. And anytime something happens, uh, like this Curtis Samuel thing that just popped up, you got to adjust both sets of rankings. So it's, it's twice as much work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what John's talking about there is, is Curtis Samuel pulled up in practice today, so it's looking like maybe he won't be able to be out there for a week. Well, we were a little cautious with him anyway, just because he missed so much time in the offseason there, going back to OTAs with the groin injury. So it's not a guarantee yet, but we'll, we'll see what happens. But they have other guys there like uh, Diami Brown and even Adam Humphreys. I mean, I feel like Adam Humphreys is going to be one of those guys that, that pops up in week one and has a lot more catches than we expect but uh, not somebody that I'd be overly excited to have out there for fantasy. But uh, before we get into things, I, I got to tell you one story, John. I don't think I've ever told you this. I've definitely told it on the show before, though, so I'll give the quick version. But uh, at my wedding six years ago, my best man was looking for a, a pretty unique way to get under my skin. And uh, he knew the, the Fantasy Pros contest. And, you know, I was, I was knee deep in that at that point. I'd been in it for three or four years. And uh, during his speech, he went out there and said, you know, everybody knows Boone's been one of the most accurate rankers in the industry, but I want to remind him he hasn't won it all yet. And at that point, I, I hadn't finished first yet. Um, so to drive the point home, he decided to rattle off all the names of the analysts who had finished above me in the, <laughs> the contest for the last few years there. And your name was on that list. So unbeknownst to you, you were actually mentioned at my wedding. That's a, that's incredible. And, you know, props to your uh, best man for, you know, sticking the knife in at your, at your wedding. That's what they're supposed to do. Right. Well, and the funny part is that I doubt most people in the audience even knew what he was talking about. Right. Like nobody's not everybody there was a fantasy football manager, but it definitely lit a fire under me, right? Just attacking my competitive <laughs> side there. I was just seething sitting at the head table. But uh, yeah, no, it's been a, a great battle that we've had in that contest. And I mean, more importantly, the, the times we have spoke, like you said, we haven't got to do a podcast together, but uh, you've just been incredibly gracious and it's been awesome going back and forth over the years with you and with those other guys that that i mentioned as well so i appreciate that and i suppose we probably should get to the the week one preview because that's what everybody's tuning in to to hear about here maybe i need a, a second non-fantasy podcast where we can just joke around and tell life stories maybe uh maybe someday we'll get around to doing that but for now let's jump into week one and the first thing i want to know we've had all off season to make predictions and project the year out you know everybody 
debating who's going to break out and who's going to bust and, and all that kind of stuff. All those open-ended scenarios kind of just hanging out there leading into the season. I'm wondering which big question are you most excited to have answered? Now, we're finally going to have players in the field. We're finally going to see what these teams look like. You can't overreact to week one, but we're definitely going to get some more data and some regular season data finally. So which one of those big questions are you most excited to have answered in week one? Yeah, I think you have to go to these murky backfields where everybody's been debating all offseason about whether or not Raheem Mostert or Trey Sermon's going to lead the 49ers in, in touches at the start of the season. Javante Williams, uh, Melvin Gordon in Denver, Chase Edmonds, James Conner in Arizona, and Miles Gaskin, uh, uh, Malcolm Brown, and uh, Sullivan Ahmed in, uh, in Miami. And you just want to see if these uh, quote-unquote dead zone running backs are really uh, – going to get the touches necessary to be quality RB2s for you and if you drafted them uh, in those middle rounds. And I think uh, it's it's nice to finally get to a point where we can actually see what happens as opposed to having everybody uh, providing their opinion about how it's going to play out. Yeah, and the 49ers especially, that backfield has such a juicy matchup with the Lions this week. I could see both those guys putting up pretty big games in that one. But it all kicks off with the Cowboys and the Buccaneers Thursday night. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, so if there's more injury updates to come out, something else uh, pops up news-wise, you know, we're just working with what we have right now. And on Tuesday, Chris Godwin was added to the injury report with a quad issue. We also had Antonio Brown and Gronk, I think, were sitting out, but the team just called that veteran rest days, so I don't think that one's anything to be worried about but Godwin is kind of concerning here you know two days out from the game getting added to the the injury report there hopefully he's fine and he'll be able to play through whatever it is but we don't really know at this point what I want to ask you about though is just how you're approaching these Bucks receivers because you got Godwin AB and Mike Evans there it's a really nice matchup with the Cowboys secondary that I don't think they improved very much over the offseason here. Not enough that we're going to think that they're going to be a, a real tough challenge for that Bucks passing attack. We know Tom Brady is going to want to throw it all over the yard, especially in primetime season opener. And they have a projected point total in that game of 52, so there should be lots of scoring in that one. How are you ranking those three Bucks receivers? I mean, given the, the Godwin injury kind of throws a wrench into the whole thing, but how are you uh, approaching those guys in week one? Yeah, we'll have to see what Godwin does today. I think this is a key day for him, and if he's limited, I'd feel okay about him, and I probably won't move him down too much, but you know, not having 100% health ahead of week one is a little worrisome. He struggled with some injuries last year and, and played through them a lot. Uh, I think in general, draft-wise, I think this is a lot closer with these three um, so I don't have many shares of Chris Godwin or Mike Evans. I don't have that much of uh, Antonio Brown either, but I would probably have more than the other two. And I think from a weekly basis in terms of week one, you know, I just go back to those target shares. When all three played, I looked it up and went through the playoffs with them, and Godwin averaged 18.3% target share, uh, Evans 18%, and Brown 17.6%. So there isn't much you know, differentiation here between these three guys. Um, and I know there's an argument that uh, Brady just wanted to feed Brown in week 17 to get him his uh, bonus for the year. He had a 14 target game in week 17, but he was pretty heavily involved uh, right when he joined the team. And it, that was interesting because he, you know, was coming into a, a new offense with a new uh, quarterback and it was immediate how, how much Tom Brady looked for him. So I'm sort of, ex you know, expecting a pick your poison type offense and Brady's going to throw it to the open guy and not force it to anyone. And uh, so that's going to yield uh, 
some some disappointing weeks maybe for some of these players if, if defenses decide to take them away. I have Godwin and Evans right now ranked as like mid-range wide receiver twos. I mean, the matchup's so good that you can't really get, get away from that. And I have Brown uh, as a, a low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three. I think I'm at 24 and, and half PPR. Um, and then if, if Godwin is limited today, I probably even will bump him down. If he's full, I'll, I'll feel fine about leaving him where he's at. If he's limited, I might bump him down a little bit and bump uh, Brown up. Yeah, and last year when AB showed up, you mentioned some of the stats like going to the playoffs. But even just looking at the the rest of the regular season after he showed up at week nine was his first game. You had Mike Evans average the ninth most fantasy points among receivers from that point on. Godwin was wide receiver 18 in fantasy points per game during that time. And then AB was wide receiver 25. So mm-hmm. it could be a situation where all three of these guys really end up being fantasy starters this year and I wouldn't really be kind of alluded to it I wouldn't really be surprised if they finished in any order this season right even if AB came up and ended up seeing the most work out of this group I don't think that's the most likely outcome here but definitely definitely possible so bottom line in my opinion start your bucks wideouts this week and and probably most weeks during the season I think because they're going to come through you will have some bad games probably depending who ends up getting the targets but overall I think they're all going to come through and I think Brady's going to have a heck of a year as well what about on the other side of the ball? The Bucks' run defense, they've been one of the, the best, one of the toughest run defenses in the league for a couple years now. Do you think fantasy managers should be worried about Ezekiel Elliott facing that front this week? I mean, personally, I've got high hopes for him this season, but I have him ranked well below where I was advising people to draft him. He's my RB15 in my initial half PPR rankings this week, and I'm not saying that to lead the witness here, John. I'm not trying to, to lead you at all, but I, I just wanted to get that on the table. I mean, are you as concerned as me about his week one outlook? I mean, that's where I have him as well, so you're not leading the, the witness. It's just the, it's just the way <laughs> the projections work, and um, the, run, the running game is not likely to have a great day against the Bucks. They allowed the second fewest points to, to running backs last year, and on top of that, Zach Martin is out uh, with covid he, you know, had over 90 uh, run grade at PFF last year, so he's one of their best run blockers. Um, so very worrisome in terms of Elliott as an RB1. I think generally you're going to still start him uh, unless you've got two guys that are better than him, uh, you know, or two running spot, you know, running back spots. But uh, at 15, you're probably not going to bench him. But it is it is a time to temper some expectations. I do think he seems to look better. He seems like he's more fit. That's what they've been saying in, in camp um, and on hard knocks. Uh, it seems like he's running well. So that that's, that bodes well for the season, but uh, he might get off to a slow start. Well, like you said, you might not have two better options. There's one guy that you might have, depending when you drafted, there could be a guy that you have that I have ranked well above him. And that's James Robinson. We're going from a, a running back with a, a very, very tough matchup to one with maybe the easiest matchup out there. Robinson not only ended up back in that that lead back role, obviously the Travis Etienne injury cleared the way for him. So now his only real competition is Carlos Hyde and maybe Urban Meyer's love of Hyde's going to take over. But if we're just looking at it from a merit standpoint, Hyde really unimpressive at this stage of his career. I really didn't see much from him to think that he's going to deserve carries in this offense. He might still get them, but I don't know if he'll deserve them. Uh, Regardless, I mean, they're facing the Texans this week. Houston just widely regarded as the worst roster. I I hate being negative, John. I hate having to say that, but I mean, you just look at them on paper and it is really unfortunate roster going into the season here. And plus, I'll give credit to a friend of the show, Ian Hart. It's a PFF for this one. He tweeted out all the running back finishes against the Texans last year, at least a bunch of them. It was like 
11 RB1 games. I think there was 14 top 15 finishes. So you're looking at that, and then you're looking at the roster and saying, I don't think they got better on the defense there at all. So do you think that Robinson's going to pick up where he left off last season and and give us an RB1 week right out of the gate? I think against the Texans, that's probably likely. I mean, I have him at seven. Uh, and that might be a little low. The, the, the Texans were the worst in the league against uh, running backs. He allowed the most fancy points to running backs last year. Um, so I think he's clearly ahead of somebody like Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, as far as like the season, it just all depends on how much, how many carries, how much usage are going to force Carlos Hyde's way, or if they have somebody else that they want to get involved. Uh, you know, Hyde just worries me because he's a name. And, you know, they went out and got him, uh, you know, free agency to, to sort of back up uh, Robinson. And then they drafted ETN. And you just sort of wonder what they think of Robinson as an RB1. I mean, he was he was a fancy RB1 last year due primarily. I mean, he's not a bad player at all. He's a good player. Uh, but it was primarily due to volume. Um, the offense wasn't good. Uh, they, had, they were bottom five, I think, in rushing yards and tied for the fewest rushing touchdowns. So he was doing it. With touches, with uh, receptions, which is something he does a lot better than Carlos Hyde, so he uh, could carry that into this week, uh, this week and this year. Um, but I do worry a little bit that Hyde is going to eat into his carries more than we'd like, I and mean, it's just the assumption of rational coaching. Uh, you can't always assume that they're going to do what's best for the team. Um, but I think to your question, yes, he's. A, I think he's going to give you an RB one season or a game right out of the right out of the gate. The question I have for you maybe is, I thought you were kind of leading into uh, maybe Gus Edwards uh, versus Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, do you have an opinion on who you should start between those two? That's another good one. I mean, Edwards is right <laughs> up there. The only, my only concern with my only concern with, with Edwards, and it's kind of the same problem I had with, with Dobbins before he got hurt, is will Edwards get the, the, the big workload there, right? I don't think they're going to pass to the running backs. They, it feels like they trick us every single season when they say during the offseason, oh, we're going we're gonna to work it in more, we're going to pass to the backs more, and then they never really do. So, And Gus Edwards is a guy that, I mean, you talk about Dobbins, at least Dobbins, I think, could take on that role if they wanted to give him more targets. Gus Edwards has barely been used as a receiver going back to, to college even, so... I don't know that he's going to get any sort of receiving workload there. And then I do expect that we're going to see Tyson Williams involved and maybe down the road. I mean, Le'Veon Bell obviously signed the practice squad there. I don't know how much Bell has left in the tank, but it might just be a case of if, if Tyson Williams can come out and show well and kind of earn that spot, then maybe they don't turn to Le'Veon. Uh, maybe if Tyson Williams kind of looks a little uh, inexperienced and you know has some trouble out there, then we'll see Le'Veon Bell get, get promoted and, and brought into the lineup. But this week alone, I, I just have that concern for Gus Edwards. It's a great matchup for him, but I think the Ravens running backs, they're going to need to do it on touchdown totals. That's how Mark Ingram got it done a couple years ago, putting mm-hmm. up a, a big you know, double-digit touchdown total to get him into the top 10 for fantasy backs. And I think that's what we need to look for for a guy like Gus Edwards. So, yeah, it's it's very close for between those two. How do you have them ranked? Yeah, I have actually looked at my rankings, and uh, the reason I brought him up was because I have Elliott at 14 and Gus Edwards at 15. And you just look at Elliott, and you're like, okay, well, he's going to get the volume, but he has a terrible matchup. And then you look at uh, Edwards, and he's like, well, you should see the volume, and he's got a fantastic matchup. And you get you have to think that the Ravens are going to score multiple rushing touchdowns against against Vegas. And, you know, last year they had 17 rushing touchdowns as uh, an RB group. That was just the uh, running backs. And if he can get 60, 70% of those, he should have a, a double digit uh, uh, rushing touchdown year. Um, but 
I think the floor is maybe a little bit lower than somebody like Elliott, who you're probably going to see 18 to 22 touches per game. Yeah, while you were talking there, I actually went and checked my rankings because I wanted to make sure I knew where I had them ranked. And I actually have Edwards two spots behind uh, Elliott. But as you know, that's very, very similar range. We're talking about splitting hairs when it's uh, you know one or two spots. Mm-hmm. It's normally really close. I love when everybody on Twitter gets angry and, and freaks out. that Why do you have that guy two spots? Lower? Well, it's not that much different when you look at the projections. But going back to the Jags, I mean, if, if Hyde ends up stealing a lot of work in that game, I don't want to be anywhere near Twitter at that point. I can only imagine people be losing their minds if Carlos Hyde vultures a touchdown or mm-hmm. you know splits the touches down the middle or something like that. Even if, you know, it, it's a great matchup. You talked about, I mean, the Ravens having a great matchup with the Raiders. The Jags, obviously, we mentioned, have this great matchup going up against the Texans. It makes me wonder if anybody's going to have the guts to actually trot out Trevor Lawrence in their lineup this week. You know, it seems like the receivers should be healthy for him. Marvin Jones coming off the AC joint sprain. DJ Shark had that hand injury. And, you know, really, if we want to talk about Lawrence, we could talk about Zach Wilson, talk about these, these rookie quarterbacks. I mean, I think people are maybe sleeping a bit on Wilson and that Jets offense after what we saw from them in training camp in the preseason. Uh, you know, Mac Jones, the other rookie, is going to get the start in week one, and then we'll have to wait on Justin Fields and Trey Lance, who I'm very excited about. They're going to be impact fantasy players whenever they get under center this year. But for week one specifically, are you willing to start any of those rookies in, in single quarterback leagues? And at this point in the season, we do have to say there's so many options. Quarterback is so deep that maybe you don't have to go this route, but I'm asking specifically because th- that matchup for Lawrence is looking pretty good, and I have him right at that that fringe area, the the quarterback one range. Yeah, I got him at 14, so that probably is about where you have him, and you know, behind the, you know, Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan, uh, you could even argue that he should be ahead of Matt Ryan, ahead of Joe Burrow and Kirk Cousins and Ryan Fitzpatrick. So he's in that. If you've got him and you've got a committee type of a thing going, uh, the matchup is so good. I think you're taking a little bit of a leap of faith that the Jaguars don't go super run heavy, uh, which is something that was floated, I believe, by Connor Orr of uh, Sports Illustrated. They thought looking at Urban Meyer and the, the two offensive coordinators that they have there of a history of um, really protecting uh, Russell Wilson and Matt, uh, Mark Sanchez uh, in their previous stints with rookie quarterbacks and going very, very run heavy, which would be great for James Robinson, but not so great for Trevor Lawrence and all the receivers there. You know, you wonder if if that's if that's the case. I don't know that they're going to go that route um, with uh, with Lawrence. So he's highly capable and ready ready to go. And um, he'd be the one that I would feel comfortable starting in one quarterback leagues, and I'd be kind of semi comfortable. And I think you you hit the nail on the head with Zach Wilson. You know, a lot of uh, good buzz coming out of him, uh, coming out about him from camp. Um, and this is, I think everybody all off season, I've noticed it is that they're just downgrading the Jets, thinking that this is the Jets. It's Adam Gase's Jets of the last few years, and it's not. It's a completely yeah. new regime, new quarterback, new offensive skill players, and uh, they could emerge and be a kind of a surprise offense this year. It's not a great matchup with Carolina. They're sort of mediocre against the pass as of last year, but you know, as you know, all these preseason uh, strength of schedule numbers are a little fuzzy. Uh, until we get two or three, four games into the season, we can kind of see how these new defenses uh, come together. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if this time next week we're kind of talking about Wilson and the Jets being much better than people think. That could be one of the the bigger storylines, even in a matchup with, yeah, that Panthers defense, especially in the second half last year, played much better, and they keep adding young pieces there. So Panthers could be could be pretty good this season. 
it's just a you know it's a different situation for rookies coming out now. I feel I'm not just talking about the the quarterbacks, but making that transition to the pros. You know, with receivers, even it used to take a couple of years. It felt like the breakout didn't come for two or three years, and now we see a lot of them just hit the ground running in in year one. I'm wondering if we're going to be able to include Kyle Pitts in that conversation this season. And we've talked about Pitts so much on the show all off season long. You know whether he's a true tight end or not. About the opportunity he's going to get with Julio out of the picture. He gets the Eagles in Week One, and Philly's had their struggles with tight ends in recent years. Their secondary isn't really putting fear in anybody. I don't think either. So, do you see Pitts kicking the doors down against the Eagles here and coming in and doing what everybody expected, or? Do you think fantasy managers are going to be disappointed on the initial returns for him? Yeah, this has been a struggle all year to get out of my own mindset about rookie tight ends and how they always, almost always disappoint. I mean, I think the last good one was Evan Ingram um, from a fantasy standpoint, and it just doesn't happen very often where they come in and provide tight end one numbers uh, in year one as a rookie. So I've been trying to think about Pitts as more of a receiver than as a tight end at all. Like, are they going to just, if, if the Falcons are going to just let him run routes, then I think he'll be just fine and, and return value as to where he's being drafted or, or close to it, at least mid range tight end one numbers. You know, if they're asking him to block a lot and, and do all these other things that tight ends do, uh, it, it might cap his upside. Um, but it sounds like, you know, from camp that they're targeting him early and often. They're running him out of the slot a lot. And they're moving him around. That does not sound like your traditional inlined, inline uh, tight end, uh, rookie tight end, where they may you know have some struggles converting, uh, you know, receptions or targets into fantasy points, or even garnering garnering uh, uh, targets. Uh, you know, a lot of these tight ends coming in have a tough time even getting targeted. Um, but I think it sounds like Pitts is being treated more as a receiver, and I think as a fantasy community, we should probably. Uh, treat him that way and we've seen a lot of receivers come in uh, as rookies and uh, have great seasons uh, I don't have to even name them I mean just, just Justin Jefferson from last year and many more before that um, so I, th- I think if you look at it with that mindset you might get that return and he's not somebody that I've had ranked at number four all year but he's in that range with Andrews and and Hawkinson so I've been you know when he's available to me at the late third fourth round early fourth round I've been taking him um, over Hawkinson or Andrews, even though I have them projected a bit higher, uh, just to get a few shares of it, because I think the tier is pretty uh, flat there, and those three uh, are, you know, have about the value about the same. Yeah, and you mentioned Evan Ingram that year with Evan Ingram, it was because everybody else got hurt, right? Like yeah. he ended up being almost the the only option in the passing game there. When you look at the Falcons, you got Calvin Ridley and Calvin Ridley's going to have a, a huge season. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think he'll up, be up near the the league leaders and targets. But the Falcons, they've been pretty much right up at the top or at the top for pass attempts the last few years. And it's another team where I don't really look at their defense and see a lot of improvements to the point where I think that's going to change too much. So I think they're going to have to throw the ball a lot again. And I think that's going to leave a lot of opportunity for Pitts. And and like you said, I like the way that at least what we're hearing so far about how they're going to use him and using him outside quite a bit and all that sort of stuff. Ideally, in a perfect scenario... A guy like Pitts, you'd be able to draft him. You'd be able to to sit him and wait a little bit before you have to get him into your lineup. But given his ADP and, and the excitement over him and just the, the state of the tight end position, that's not realistic. We're going to have to roll the dice here and hope for the big performance. And I feel pretty good about that happening, uh, especially with this matchup with the Eagles. But 
I, I can acknowledge that the expectations are about as high as they can be right now. So it's going to be tough for him to deliver at, at that level. Not impossible, but the, the bar is extremely high there. And that's part of the fun of week one, right? Like we're going to get to see uh, all these players, these teams, how they're actually looking, get that real regular season data, like I said earlier, you know, because we can admit you and I have been two of the, the most accurate rankers out there over the last however many years. But there's a lot that we don't know, right? There's so much out there that we don't know. And we're trying to educate everybody on the best approaches to take, you know, set yourself up with the most likely outcomes. There are players, though, in offenses that I would just love to have more information on before I'm going to commit. Is there anybody out there like that for you? Are there any of these offenses out there that, you know, are teams that you want to take a wait and see approach with before you really go all in on them? Yeah, we talked about the Jets with Zach Wilson and everything. Uh you know, Adam Gase being gone and a new regime in there. But I think the other one that jumps out to me are the Bengals who, you know, heading into this off season and after they uh, drafted Jamar Chase, you know, you're getting pretty high on the whole offense uh, and thinking back to uh, they were second, I think, in pass attempts with Joe Burrow uh, under center. Uh, once he went out, things changed a little bit, but they were really pass friendly, pass happy at the start of that season until he got hurt. And then you're hearing all these negative reports out of uh, camp about Burrow not really being right and kind of having bad practices and uh, Jamar Chase struggling and to catch the ball. He's got the yips and, you know, even into the last, I think, preseason game, he dropped a pass. And you're sort of wondering, uh, is this offense going to get off to a fast start or is it going to take a month before they, you know, kind of get back on track? Because Chase hasn't played competitive football since, you know, January of 2020 or something like that. So um, it's been it's been a while uh, for him. And then Burrow coming back from the from the knee injury. Uh, I think the whole thing in general is, is is looking at the Bengals and just kind of having a, a tablespoon of salt, <laughs> a pinch of salt to <laughs> just sort of lower those expectations a bit because uh, I think coming into the you know, after the draft, things 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 were looking really good, and then this, this whole off season has been kind of a downer. Uh, I do think they'll get it together, and uh, given what they did last year, and they got T. Higgins obviously and Tyler Boyd, so there's plenty of receiving talent there um, to get it going. But I think maybe September might be a little bit of a struggle. Yeah, that's a great example. I mean, for me, I'm looking at like the Eagles. Like there are so many question marks still, and the offensive line being healthy right now. We'll see if they can keep that up, but. The offensive line being healthy could really help that whole group, but bringing in Devonta Smith and now you have Ertz there, so he's going to stick around. What's going to happen with the tight ends? Dallas Goddard obviously moving down the rankings a little bit, and then even the running backs like Miles Sanders, they don't seem to want to throw to him as much. He's had a ton of drops reportedly in, in camp, so are they going to work in other backs like Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell? And then Jalen Hurts, the sample size was so small last year that, you know, is he going to be able to come out and pick up where he left off and continue? So that's one that I'm I'm really kind of holding back a little bit. And there could be a lot of excitement if they come out and, and have a great week. Um, if it ends up being a, a shootout with the Falcons there and they come out and have a, a really big game. Because that's in Hurts' big games last year, those, those two really big ones that he put up 300 yards in. Uh, in those two games, they were kind of like perfect scenarios. It was the Cowboys. It was the Cardinals. They kind of turned into these shootouts. Maybe we could see something like that happen with the Falcons here. But yeah, a little, little cautious with the Eagles overall. I mean, some people could put the Panthers on that list. We touched on them briefly earlier. Having Sam Darnold under center now, he gets that big revenge game with the Jets this week. We saw Teddy Bridgewater last season. He kept the offense humming. He wasn't really a great fantasy option, but 
Mike Davis finished as a top 12 running back with Christian McCaffrey hurt. DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel, all his top 25 receivers. Do you see Darnold being able to, to do the same and helping sustain all those skill position players in uh, Carolina this year with CMC and Moore and Anderson? Now Terrace Marshall looking like he could be the intriguing third receiver there, kind of replacing a very different receiver than Curtis Samuel, but a guy who could come in and be a real red zone weapon for them. Or are we just expecting too much here, you know, for Darnold to keep all these guys afloat fantasy wise? And then also, I mean, if the answer is yes and you think he can pull it off, then we got to wonder could Darnold be a, a fantasy option? Could he finally make good on that? first round draft capital that the Jets used on him way back in the day. And is he going to be the the next guy that escapes Adam Gase and, and kind of blows up? But I came at it from every angle there, John. So how are you viewing the Panthers <laughs> offense? Well, I think people should keep in mind that Curtis Samuel got there, not just in the receiving, but also rushing. So to expect uh, Terrace Marshall to have that sort of production is probably uh, a bit of a pipe dream. But I think you look at what Teddy Bridgewater did last year and you're just talking about 3,733 yards and 15 touchdowns. And certainly uh, Darnold can post those types of numbers. He's never surpassed 3,024 yards in a season passing, but he's never started more than 13 games. Um, He had 17 and 19 touchdowns in his first two seasons. Uh, So I I certainly think there's upside from what Bridgewater produced last year. Bridgewater is not a big, past touchdown guy he just had you know he's never thrown for more than 15 touchdowns in a season and I think you know you're looking at Darnold as maybe a guy's you know 20 25 somewhere in that you know in that range and you the, the pressure is really on uh Matt Ruley and Joe Brady uh for to make this work because they they passed on uh Justin Fields and Mac Jones to, uh to draft a cornerback and uh, instead decided that Darnold was the, the answer at quarterback, uh, making that trade prior to the draft. Um, so it's, it kind of depends on how much confidence you have in those guys. They seem pretty sharp. Uh, and, you know, if they can get a good fantasy season or a good regular football season out of Darnold, uh, they might look like winners. But they, they really need him to be the, the new franchise quarterback. So they're very invested in him. And um, that that's a little scary, but I think, in terms of this offense and your original question, uh, I think he can certainly support uh, two fantasy receivers plus McCaffrey. Uh, you know, McCaffrey being out last year certainly helped those receivers as well. Um, but you're looking at DJ Moore and you know, either Ryan Anderson or Terrace Marshall probably as fantasy starters by the end of the year, along with uh, Christian McCaffrey as the overall uh, RB1. All right, we'll get you out of here on this one. We always end our preview episodes the, the same way with this question. Which players are being overlooked by the fantasy community heading into this week? It could be a sleeper. It could be a star who's getting disrespected. There's a lot of angles you can come at this one from. You know, Who do you see as a, a player or players, if you want to name more than one, who are being overlooked going into week one? Yeah, I mentioned uh, Gus Edwards earlier. Uh, I just think the matchup this week. And then you've got Tyson Williams as well. I think they both could produce uh, starter caliber numbers this week against Vegas. It sort of depends on how close the game uh, is. I think Edwards will, will be playing most of the time when it's close. Uh, and then, you know, Williams rotating in and might see some garbage time if, if it ends up being a blowout. Uh, Devonta Smith, it seems like the fantasy community is pretty torn on him. And, you know, the BMI folks really hate him. And, you know, he's a really good route runner, according to Matt Harmon. And uh, you can see that on film as well. I think, you know, heading into a game with the Falcons, this is a, he might really you know, tear it up and have a really good day and his stock's going to rise considerably after week one. And then finally, just a kind of a ho-hum 
tight end streamer, Tyler Conklin with uh, Irv Smith uh, missing the year. And, you know, he had four games last year where Kyle Rudolph was out and he posted uh, fantasy tight end 15 numbers in those games, which wasn't anything amazing. But if you're just hurting it at tight end or you want to roll him out there uh, against the Bengals, who were pretty bad against the tight end position last year, you might end up with a tight end one type uh, type game, maybe 40, 50 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, all the leagues where I had Irv Smith and the waivers hadn't run yet and then they ran last night, I ended up with a lot of Ty Conklin shares <laughs> this morning. So I hope you're right about that one. Uh, I'll throw a couple names out there too. Another backfield duo, Tevin Coleman and, and Ty Johnson. You know, if the Jets offense can take that step in the right direction, like we talked about, it's going to be a committee, but they're bringing over that 49ers rushing attack. So somebody could pop there. James White with the Dolphins, Ramondre Stevenson dealing with a, a dislocated thumb. Either way, though, White had that down year last season with Cam Newton at the helm. Cam Newton more of that, you know, rushing quarterback, not checking down as much. Mac Jones maybe could be somebody that relies on white a little bit more off the the get-go here so we'll see if he can get back to fantasy relevant status and then and i i hate saying this but if we're talking about you know deeper flexes don't forget about the texans wideouts you know i I know their team looks rough and we talked about that earlier but brandon cooks is still a nice flex play somebody has to get the ball in that offense and cook saw at least eight targets in every game that will fuller was sidelined last season so i know it's a big quarterback downgrade to tyrod taylor but they're going to have to throw the ball, and he should get a lot of work there. Sterling Shepard, somebody else that Kenny Galladay, if he's not 100%, he missed so much time here into the lead-up into the season. Shepard could be the leading receiver in, in week one at least. So those would be a few names. But week one is a little different because there aren't as many injuries. We're not dealing with any buys. So you likely don't need to dig too deep for your lineup this week. But those are a few names. John had some good ones there, and those are a few names from me that I think should be getting more love. But that's it. That's all for today's show. Uh, go and check out John's work at 4 for 4. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at 4 for 4 underscore John. I know it took us a while to set this up, man, but uh, really glad we finally made it happen. So thanks for taking the time. Good luck this year. And we'll have to do this again. Maybe 2022, uh, we'll, we'll have to make this an annual thing or something. Sounds good, Justin. Thanks for having me on and best of luck this year. All right, there you have it. We're going strong at the score. Uh, my rankings are up. I'll have the first version of the in-season trade value chart up on uh, Wednesday night. Those are sort of the rest of the season rankings, really. And it'll probably be up by the time you listen to this. The draft gets up to date. So if you have any drafts tonight like I do, it'll be there for you. And I'll be back with our live show on Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So get your questions ready for that. Until then, though, big thanks again to John. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening. And we will see you next time. Said leave on time. My baby said leave on time Leave on time with me tonight I said leave on time